Hey guys, my name is Allie and welcome to episode four of the Nose in a Book podcast. Glad to be back again so soon. I'm recording episodes every couple days, which is really exciting. Um, today I'm going to be talking about The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien, and if I have time, I'll get some into Lord of the Rings. I may have to leave that for a separate podcast, um, but if I have time, I will talk about um, how The Hobbit compares to The Lord of the Rings, in case anyone who is listening to this hasn't read either of them. So, The Hobbit by J.R.R. Tolkien. I actually have uh, four different editions of The Hobbit. I really enjoy collecting editions, as some of my friends know. I just don't really have the money to collect as many editions as I would like right now. Um, But the edition I've had since I was a child is really old and really beat up. This one was published in 1991, um, but the original book was published in 1937. Um, it's not super long. It's only about 285 pages. Um, we at um, my bookstore shelve it in the 9 to 12 section because it is te- technically a kid's book. Um, it is one of my all-time favorite books. As I said, my mom used to read this to me as a bedtime story. Not the whole thing in one night, obviously, but we would do um, a few chapters a night. Um, and it was one of the first books like the first chapter books I remember having someone read to me and I loved it so much because it was such a fun adventure story and I was always a really small kid. I was um, still very short. Um, I've managed to almost make it to the average size but uh, (laughs) I'm still on the small side so I always really empathized with Bilbo being a tiny little hobbit about half the size of a regular person. Um... For anyone who hasn't read The Hobbit, it's basically about a hobbit, which is a small version of a person with um, leathery feet, uh, a love for food, a jolly complexion, and a fondness for gardening. They live in comfortable hobbit holes with paneled walls, tiled floors, carpets, polished chairs, pegs for hats and coats for lots of visitors, and... uh, It basically has everything you could possibly need uh, set into the side of a hill. And I think it's absolutely lovely. Now, some of The Hobbit describes different kinds of hobbits and where they came from, but uh, it uh, doesn't really go into long pages and pages of detail like Tolkien does in The Lord of the Rings, which I think is fantastic and definitely a very good introduction to Middle-earth, which is the world in which it's set in. And it's basically about uh, Bilbo Baggins, the hobbit, joining up with a group of dwarves and a wizard to go rescue gold, the dwarves' gold from a dragon uh, who lives in their mountain and um, has been there for ages. And now the dwarves are all getting together and uh, taking their gold back. So it's really an adventure story. Uh, it's a sweet story. It's It involves a lot of Bilbo kind of finding himself, finding his courage and his cleverness that's been hidden inside him all along and uh, is now starting to come out. Yeah, I think it's a really sweet tale, and I recommend it to kids all the time to this day because it's super magical. Um, I find that a lot of the magic in the Lord of the Rings series is a little dulled by the amount of extra detail that Tolkien likes to put in. Um, So you kind of don't really 
get that enchanting sense as much as you do in The Hobbit. Because it really, it really is super magical. Like they're, they see stone giants and they're going to go fight a dragon and there's people who live on top of a lake and they meet the wood elves and it's, Bilbo finds a magic ring that can turn him invisible and all this really cool stuff. And it's definitely a much more enchanting introduction to the series, which is why I would recommend it to anyone who's looking to get into Tolkien and doesn't really know where to start because they can be really intimidating. Uh, personally, after I was given my beat up old copy that has smog on the front um, in, with uh, gold on the top and bottom, uh, I was given a illustrated graphic novel of The Hobbit, which I absolutely love. I love showing it to people. I think the illustrators, illustrations are fantastic. It was illustrated by David Wenzel. And uh, it's fairly long and pretty detailed. The, the typeface is fantastic. And, oh man, like the illustrations are so good that the spiders in it actually scared me as a kid. Although I've been scared of spiders for ages. Oh, and uh, Gollum really creeped me out in the illustrations. It was interesting, though, because I'm pretty sure this graphic novel was published, yeah, in uh, 1991. Um, before the movies came out, so uh, Bilbo's sword, the elven sword, glows pink in the graphic novel and not blue like it does in the movie. And Bilbo's much more round and normal looking. He's a bit dumpy and very sweet. Yeah, I loved it. I've must have, this uh, graphic novel is super beat up because I've gone through it so many times. The paintings are just absolutely lovely. And then I have another edition, uh, a hardcover edition with a beautiful book jacket, which is this green and blue illustration of the mountains, the Misty Mountains. And the inside front cover has the original map that Tolkien drew with the really cool writing and the moon runes. And it's got this um, beautiful green cover, unfortunately with a water stain, but I don't care. I think it gives it character. And on the back, it has an, uh, a map of the Misty Mountains and Mirkwood. Uh, in detail, which is really cool because you only see a little bit of Mirkwood when the hobbits are going through, or when um, Bilbo and the dwarves are going through it. And in the north, you have the Grey Mountains. And it's cool because all of the, um, the writing is in red. So it gives us this really cool kind of creepy black and red version. And then he has little drawings of the spiders and their webs. And it's cool because I haven't really seen a whole lot of... Um, the maps that Tolkien originally drew in detail. I have one um, the size of a coffee table on my wall, actually, just of Middle Earth in general, and I absolutely love it. It's gigantic and it's amazing. Um, as well, in the edition that I have here, it actually has color pictures. And if I am correct, I don't believe these pictures were done by Tolkien. Let me see if I can. Oh, I lied. They were illustrated by the author. So they are Tolkien's original illustrations. So we have an illustration of Smog lying on his heap of gold. We have a couple black and white illustrations of the nature. Um, for instance, the... Uh, the gate to the Elven King's hold is in black and white drawing, but then we have a few more color photos. Let me see if I can find any, just so that I can describe them to you, because I absolutely love them. I love Tolkien's original drawings. They're just so beautiful. And one of my all-time favorite things about The Hobbit that wasn't super included in the movie interpretations that they did, which I didn't really like a lot anyways, um, was the songs. 
There's so many songs in The Hobbit, and I love them all. There's probably at least five different songs that they that he wrote for the book that I just absolutely adore. I think they're so much fun. And I used to try to make up tunes to them as a kid. And then the fourth edition of The Hobbit that I have is an edition that specifically goes with my Lord of the Rings set. So they're all in this beautiful black soft cover with um, red, yellow, and green uh, coloring. And uh, it's this really cool design where some of the design on the front is in shiny black. And then there's occasional pops of color. And they all go together beautifully um, in a set on the shelf. They're by HarperCollins, and they go together so wonderfully. I originally got the, um, the Hobbit, this edition of The Hobbit first, before I got this Lord of the Rings set. And so I bought this set to match that edition because I thought that was editions were beautiful and go together really well. But I also have an edition of just the Fellowship of the Ring that I think is super, super cute. Um, it is ancient and actually on the inside it says jade merry christmas love mum 87 <laughs> which i think is so cute i'm pretty sure i got it at a used bookstore um and this version uh was i believe 1954 this edition uh it is just part one fellowship of the ring but i love having it anyway because it has a really cute description of it on the back uh yeah i think it's lovely anyway um yeah, I would totally recommend rereadings of The Hobbit as well. I find it just the sweetest book. I've probably reread it about eight or nine times. And one of my favorite things about it is that all of the characters are so lovable. You know, like you always, you automatically trust Gandalf. You really warm up to the dwarves, all the different dwarves with all their different personality traits. And Smog is such a fantastic villain as well. Like he's exactly what you thought a dragon would be as a kid, like this terrifying, selfish, uncaring beast that is just like, screw everyone else. I'm going to sit on my gold for a thousand years if I want to, and ain't nobody going to stop me. And if you do try to stop me, I'm going to burn your town to the ground. And he totally does that, but then... Bard has his superhero move where he sends the one arrow through the one place in Smaug's breast where his scale has fallen off just over his heart because Bard can speak to the birds. <laughs> yeah, it's so magical. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And wow, it's only been 11 minutes. Hopefully I haven't been talking too fast for anybody, but I think I'm going to go into um, a little bit of a comparison with the Lord of the Rings series and why I love this series so much, even though um, a lot of the people I've talked to who haven't read it are really nervous about reading it. I think it is, it can be super intimidating. Um, it is a lot darker and it's more difficult to read than The Hobbit. Um, it does have a fair amount of descriptions, um, like very long paragraph after paragraph descriptions of places, cities, buildings, languages, different races of people, um, which honestly, personally, I find super interesting. Like the fact that he put so much into his, these works, like these masterpieces of his, the fact that he did so much extra work. Like, he wrote all the languages, like, he wrote histories for all of the different races of peoples. It's just, it's honestly 
like mind-boggling the scope of what he really did, which I think is why a lot of people either worship him or are scared of his books. Um, a lot of people also compare his books to the movies, and personally, I, I love the movies. I adore them. I've watched them over and over again. They're a super fun, stylized, adventure action version of the books, um, and they have a very different feel, and I think they're a really good introduction to the world as well for adults that don't really want to go back and read The Hobbit, but still love Tolkien and that kind, like all, like Middle Earth and all of the races of people. I think it's um, really good for people to be able to know something about the world without having read all of his books. Like The Silmarillion especially is ridiculously hard. I haven't even gone into his Unfinished Tales and all of his other works personally, just because I have too many books to read and not enough time. So I haven't really gone to explore a whole bunch more of his world, which sometimes I feel bad about. But, I mean, in comparison to the movies, the books are much slower. There's a lot more that takes place, and I can understand why people were frustrated that certain things from the books weren't in the movies, but I can also understand that it really would have ruined the pacing of the movies to add certain things like Tom Bombadil um, and the altercation that the hobbits have at the tombs with the, I think they're ghasts. I cannot for the life of me remember what they're called. Um, the horrible ghosts that try to kind of eat them with those tombs. It was pretty nasty. Um, and so then Tom Bombadil rescues them and they meet um, the river daughter and that whole <laughs> scenario is super, super interesting. I feel like anyone who hasn't read the books is kind of missing out on Tom Bombadil as a character because he's a really cool character. And so is the river daughter. I think she's, she's a lovely stylized character. I think she's great. Um, also missing out from the movies were the people of the forest that helped them win the war against Sauron. Um, they were a really cool race of people, and I think their description and the fact that they had, um, like, basically natives helping them against the Dark Lord, it was really... It was really this feeling of every race of people coming together against a common enemy. Because when... Uh, Aragorn and the rangers had to go convince the people of the forest to fight, they obviously said, hey, once he gets us, he's coming for you. So banding together with us in this final battle is kind of necessary for you as well. And so that was a really sweet, like, joining together of all of the different races of people, except for the men from the south, because, you know, apparently the men from the south are assholes, but, you know, whatever, it's fine. Um... Also included was a fair amount of detail about the rangers um, and the fact that Arwen and Aragorn's relationship is only takes place in the appendices of the Return of the King, which if anyone doesn't know is an appendix is just like a little informational addition to the book. He's got appendices in I think almost every book. Am I right? My editions actually have them all at the end of the Return of the King. Uh, and there's like a ton of appendices. There's a huge index. Um, there's actually a whole bunch about the languages, uh, about the, all of the different families. Yeah, there's a huge amount of 
just extra listed detail in the appendices. And uh, one of those details is the fact that Aragorn married Arwen. And the whole kind of her giving up of her mortality and that struggle is um, only from the movies. Wasn't really detailed in the book. So that's one of my favorite parts of the movies, to be honest, is the fact that they added that whole like beautiful human and mortal romance thing. I thought that was great. They did that really well, and the acting was fantastic, and I think it was really lovely. Um, I think one of the main differences between The Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings series is that the, the villains are super different. Like, in The Hobbit, it's obviously, there's one villain that we're fighting, it's this dragon, we're going to take care of it, it's fine. There's going to be, like, this heroic dude, and he's just going to take care of everything, and bam, everything's fine again. But, and then obviously there's the battle of five, ar five armies where like the crap kind of hits the fan and everyone tries to figure out what's going on, but you know, it has a happy ending and, um, Bilbo goes back to his hobbit hole all happy and having had this adventure. But in the fellowship of the ring, there's obviously this one Lord that you're fighting against, which is Sauron, but you never really see him which I think is kind of clever. You never, there's never actually like a head-to-head -head battle, so to speak, with Sauron himself. Um, it's only described um, because there was a battle before Frodo's time. There was a huge battle against Sauron when he was first vanquished when the ring was cut from his finger. Um, but in the Lord of the Rings actual series... Uh, Sauron just sends everyone else to do his dirty work for him. And the ring race are like these horrible, terrifying characters. Like I remember watching, even as like a preteen, I was watching the Lord of the Rings movies and those things scared the crap out of me because they were so creepy. They're so creepy. I hated them. Those screams that they made, oh God, horrible. And then Shelob, that horrible big spider thing. Like, oh my God, the Merkwood spiders were bad enough, but she was just a nightmare in like physical form. Oh, bleh. creepy. So I really thought it was cool that Tolkien did kind of fighting different versions of this darkness. Like Shelob didn't really have anything to do with Sauron. She was actually created separately um, in the beginning of the uh, couple ages before I think the, the hobbits came around. So she's been there in her cave up in the mountains for a very, very, very long time, and she is an entirely separate beast from the fight against Sauron, which I thought was really cool. Um, and the fact that they're, the orcs kind of level up. There's the creepy orcs, and then there's the Urukai, and good lord, those things are disgusting. So there's Frodo kind of has to, it's that whole banding together of all of the different races again, which I think is super cool. It's this lovely idea of all of people all these people from these different walks of life joining into one force to fight a common enemy. But again, the enemies are, there's so many more enemies. And I think that's really reflective of daily life is that you're not ever fighting one battle. You're fighting a whole bunch of battles on different fronts at all times. So I found that to be super great. Um, there's a whole bunch of extended personal journeys instead of just Bilbo going on a trip with some other characters that are his friends. Each we have at least four or five characters that have their own personal journeys throughout the books. Like Frodo has, has his journey, obviously, but so does Sam. And so does Aragorn. So does Eowyn and Eomer. Legolas and Gimli are fighting their own journeys. Um, 
and it's just there's so many interweaving tales um, of their own different adventures because obviously well spoiler if you haven't read any of it they're only really together for the first book <laughs> the fellowship I mean and then they kind of have to split up because it's not really safe to travel in such a huge group anyways Gandalf of course has his own personal journey which is pretty harrowing and he ends up coming back as Gandalf the White I think now we're going to get into spoiler territory if uh, you haven't read the books and uh, apologies in advance if um, <laughs> you didn't know any of this already uh, it's pretty generically known in pop culture, but, you know, it kind of sucks to be spoiled sometimes. But I think the one thing that I identified with the most was Frodo's journey. I mean, everyone identifies with Frodo, but the fact that Frodo was so plagued by the darkness, like the fact that he was, I don't know, kind of stupid enough to get stabbed, was kind of his own fault that he sustained this injury and then this injury basically plagues him for the rest of his life like it's this constant ache this constant twinge and I found that to be really reminiscent of um, depression or mental illness because it's something that never really goes away no matter how much you try to cure it it's always this thing in the back of your head that you deal with in different ways at different times and some of them work better than others but it's a permanent thing. It's always going to be there and it's just something extra that you have to deal with in your day-to-day -day life. And some people have it and some people don't and it's not really a matter of luck. It's just a matter of the way the cards fell. And Frodo also has that horrible overhanging darkness about the fact that he had to carry the ring for so long. And he's super tormented when he is carrying the ring by its horrible call back to its master. And he has that struggle at the end where Gollum ends up biting off his finger because Frodo won't throw the ring away because he's so, he's so addicted to it. Which, oh God, that was gross. Ugh. I remember seeing it or reading about it was gross enough and then seeing it in the movie, I was like, good gracious, that's disgusting. That is disgusting. And it was kind of sad that Gollum ended up dying in the end. I mean, I think it was honest that he didn't have any redeeming qualities except for his love for the ring. And I think that really speaks to some people's obsessions and how detrimental and unhealthy they can be. Everything in moderation, people. So, I mean, that was kind of sad, but everyone has their own losses. And one of my favorite parts of the book, to be honest, is when uh, Eowyn and... Faramir. Eowyn and Faramir are standing on the top of the castle and they've both been wounded in battle and they've both suffered losses of their father and their brother respectively and a or Faramir says something like I don't think the darkness will endure and I think that was super lovely there's a lot of really great parts in this book like there's a lot of really great character work it's a really long lasting and um, detailed plot like there's a lot that happens in the plot it goes up and down all the time there's multiple climaxes there's a whole bunch of interweaving storylines which I think is really fun and um, it is honestly like a fantastic series of books to read I am 
it's one of the books that I'm going to continue rereading regularly for the rest of my life just because it's so well done. He puts so much effort into it. And there's honestly so much extra detail that you can look for even after reading the series. I mean, the appendices, obviously, but there's so much lore behind it that's detailed in other books. Like, for example, in The Silmarillion, I've read The Silmarillion, and it was just unreal how much thought he really put into this entire universe from the beginning of its time, essentially. It was so cool to learn about how Gandalf was originally, like, an angel character. Like, how cool is that? that's so awesome. <laughs> and that's why he can like return as a higher form of an angel. <laughs> so cool. I really, I really enjoyed it. This is one of my favorite book series of all time, all times, which is why I have so much nerd crap, um, scattered around my apartment that goes along with it. And, uh, it's why I collect editions of The Hobbit and it's why um, I originally gave away my first set of the, the Lord of the Rings. I think I gave them to a sibling and then got my new editions, which are now, you know, well-loved, well-read. I don't super believe in, like, keeping books in pristine condition. Like, if you read a book, you read a book. Obviously, don't dog-ear the pages or, like, avoid spilling things on it. And, you know, you try to take care of them as much as you can. But if you, so what if you can tell that a book was read a few times? So what if the pages are a little bit brushed on the bottom? Like, you know that it was loved. I think that's what's really important. Anyway, uh, I've talked for about 25 minutes now, and I just wanted to say thank you for listening. I do really appreciate it. I hope you've listened to uh, any of the other episodes. Uh, some of them have spoilers and some of them don't, but um, this is the only episode where I actually spoiled anything super important to the plot without saying anything in advance. My bad. I guess this is just one of those series where you assume everyone knows everything about it already or has at least heard most of it or seen the movies or anything like that. I definitely have to go back and watch the movies again because I haven't seen them in um, a couple years. I think it's very important to keep watching the movies that you love with your friends and rereading the books that you love. Anyway, thanks for listening. Um, I will have another episode up quite soon. And uh, if you want to tell me anything you liked or disliked about the podcast or just want to talk to me in general, I do have a Twitter for this podcast. It's at Nose in a Book Pod, and I would love to hear from you. So thanks. Hope you have a great day or night wherever you are. Bye.